Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. As many of you know, I uh, went to Bible College at West Coast uh, Baptist College, uh, not too far from here. And uh, one of the things that we would do on a regular basis every single week is we would go out and we would knock doors and we would invite people to the church uh, pretty much every Saturday we would go out and we would just knock doors and many times we would knock doors in uh, areas close to the church and not too far away, but uh, they had several big events throughout the year. Uh, they had events like Christmas and they had events like Easter and several other uh, bigger events, uh, events that they focused much of the church activity around and uh, during those events they would have a goal. Uh, The goal for not just the college, but the entire church was to knock on every single door in the entire area. It's the Antelope Valley. Their goal was to knock on every single door. I think they told us there was about 100,000 doors there, and they had a goal of knocking every single one of those doors. And uh, so we would, we would go out, we would get maps as college students, and we would just go wherever, wherever they sent us, uh, we, we went. And the thing about trying to knock every single door is that you really begin to go out to the very edges of the towns and of the city there, and, and you're not even sure you're still in the town anymore, and, and you're driving on the road, and then it stops becoming a paved road, and then it's just a dirt road, and, and you're going up here, you don't see any power lines, you don't see anything, but you were told there are houses up here, and so you go over a hill, and sure enough, there's three houses, and so we, we would drive all the way down, and the houses are really far apart, so you'd park your car, you walk all the way down the driveway, you would knock on the door, you would get back into your car, you would drive over to the next house because it's too far to walk, and then you would knock on the next one, and, and uh, me and my roommates, uh, there are four of us, so the four of us were in my car, and uh, so we were going to go out together, and we did this, and, and we were way out there in a similar situation to the one that I just described, and, and uh, we had gone way out of our way, we just followed my friend's uh, GPS, and uh, we didn't want to drive all the way around to get back. And so he was looking, I think he was looking at his phone. And he said, hey, I think there's like this little road that goes over this hill that goes down. And it's kind of a shortcut. <clears throat> I said, sure, why not? Let's take it. And uh, so we got up to the top of the hill. And when I looked down, it was just this single Barely even a road, but it was dirt all the way down. And then down at the very bottom of the hill, you could see it leads up into a paved road. And from there, we could just drive all the way back. And so I thought, hey, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, I had a, you know, a compact car, but not a big deal. It seems pretty flat. So we got, I, I was driving all the way down the hill. And, and uh, some of my roommates are uh, quietly saying things like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have come down here. <laughs> And I was like, well, it's too late now. I mean, I I can't just reverse all the way back up. So we went all the way down. And then at the bottom, I thought the same thing that my friends did, which was maybe this was a mistake. Because at the bottom of the hill, right before you get up onto the paved road, there was this ditch. It wasn't a big ditch. It was a small ditch. It was maybe just a foot wide. But the paved road was up here, and where we were at was, like, down here. And then there was a little ditch, and I, I pulled up, and I looked out, and I thought, oh, this is a mistake. We're going to get stuck here, and my car's going to need to get towed. And so I'm thinking, what do we do? And so the four of us, we get out, and we start 
just walking around looking for every medium-sized rock. We're going to build these little bridges to get from where we were onto the paved road. And so my friends and I, we're all going around grabbing any medium-sized stick, rock, pebble. It doesn't matter. We're kind of putting it all together. And uh, somebody found like a little tiny piece of plywood. We're like, we'll take it. And we're putting everything on there. And um, so we're like, all right, I think this will work. And uh, so I'm very slowly, like, inching my way forward. And as soon as I get on it, you can feel it kind of give a little bit. And I'm thinking, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't do this. And there's, no, 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 it's good. It didn't, it didn't move at all. And I'm thinking, are you sure? This is my car. You know, if something goes wrong, this is my car. That's at risk. And, uh, and I drove, and, and it started, like, tilting. And so I kind of drove this way. And finally, after about 30 to 40 minutes of this whole ordeal, I finally got my car back onto the road. We all got in, and we drove away. And I just remember thinking back on that incident about my car is not a special car, <clears throat> but it's, it's just like every other car. And I was thinking about this, this ditch wasn't that big. It really wasn't that deep. If I were hiking, I probably wouldn't even think anything of it. I would just walk right over it and not even notice it. But I remember thinking, wow, what a small, tiny little ditch could make this huge 2,000-pound car come to a stop. This tiny little thing and sometimes people have amazing cars. I've been, you know, driving around a little bit, and uh, sometimes you see those car dealerships, and you see, you know, the Chevys and the Fords and the Toyotas, and then sometimes you see the luxury cars. You see the Porsches, and, and you see, you know, the real luxury cars. Sometimes you see them driving around, and, you know, they cost $7,500, dollars $200,000 for a single car, but if they came to that same ditch, they'd be in the exact same problem as me. They would have the exact same dilemma as me. Because my car was not built for off-road living. And those cars are not built for off-road living. Those cars are built only when the road is smooth. Only when the path is easy. But once things get a little bit tough, they're not built for that. They're not built to go off-road. They're not built for difficult conditions. They are built only for smooth conditions. But drawing near to God equips us to be able to live off-road. It enables us to be able to continue traveling on despite the trials and the tribulations that may be happening. This psalm here in particular was written by David, but David here, when he wrote this, was not living in Israel. He was not living in Bethlehem at the time. He wasn't the king in Jerusalem at the time. He was living in the land of the Philistines. If you remember from 1 Samuel, David, of course, he killed Goliath, and then after some other incidences, he's now running away from King Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. So he's running away and he's running to this place and to that place and going here and there. And eventually he thinks to himself, Saul's eventually going to kill me. I got to run far away. And so he runs into the land of the Philistines. 
And here in the land of the Philistines, he writes this psalm about drawing near to the Lord. And he writes this psalm, if you read in verse number 21, blessed, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong psalm. Verse number 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. And here David is trying to communicate to us as believers today, I think that no matter what the conditions are that you will be facing, no matter how well or how poorly the road conditions are, if you draw near to the Lord, you can continue traveling on down that road. And many times you see believers, they get stuck. They get stuck on certain things. They get stuck because of something that happens to them. They get stuck because of what something uh, was done to them or somebody said something to them or just the way life is. They, they come across some trouble and some trials and, and they get stuck. They get stopped because their life is not at the point where they are able to travel off-road. But God has designed a Christian life that is able to handle anything that the world has to offer. No matter the trials that you face, no matter the tribulations that you face, no matter the difficulties that you face, no matter what is coming across your way, God has the power to enable you to overcome any of those obstacles. But if you are going to be fully equipped, if you're going to be that fully off-road enabled Christian, you must draw near to God. You must get close to the Lord. You must come into God's workshop and let Him work on you for a little while. For Him to work on your life, for Him to work on your heart, because we all need working on. We all need working on. And I don't want a Christianity that only works on smooth roads. I don't want a Christianity that only works when all of the finances are working out great and I'm able to save and invest and come out ahead every single month. I want a Christianity that works even if my finances aren't so great. I want a Christianity that works no matter what somebody says to me. No matter what somebody does to me, I want a Christianity that continues to exhibit what God has in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, being able to be loving, to have peace, to have joy, to have all of these things. I don't want a Christianity that is, works fine and is great, and then the moment somebody says something, okay, I'm done with this Christian living, I'm, I'm not able to continue. I don't want a Christian life that everything is great and wonderful and then suddenly when the finances aren't really working out, okay, God, you said that you would do this and all of these, okay, fine, I'm leaving you. I'm done with this Christianity business because my finances maybe aren't exactly where I want them to be. But it doesn't matter the financial trouble, the family trouble, the relationship trouble, your work trouble. It doesn't matter what troubles you may face in this world. If you draw near to God, you will be able to continue traveling off-road. Because no one ever promised that the Christian life would be easy. If somebody told you, if you become a Christian, then life will be easy, you were deceived. Somebody's trying to trick you. No one ever promised that the Christian life would be easy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, 
persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you are going to live for God, I guarantee you the smooth paved road will eventually end. There are going to be places where the road isn't so smooth, where the road hasn't been worked on, where it's bumpy and rough and it's difficult to make progress. That is guaranteed to us as Christians. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 also says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The way that God works in the Christian life is not that he works out that all of your circumstances will be smooth so that your road or your car will be able to just drive on that smooth road. What he does is he upgrades you to be, ha- to be able to handle no matter what road you face. The way that God works oftentimes is not that he just makes all of the circumstances work for all believers and that's why the Christian is able to continue moving forward. No, sometimes he leaves the conditions as they are. Sometimes he even leads Christians into the valley. Sometimes he leads Christians into difficult situations. Sometimes he even leads Christians into persecutions. But what he does is he says, this is where you need to go, but I will enable you to be able to handle this road, to be able to handle this situation. So the question we need to ask is, is our life equipped for going off-road? Is my life ready for the troubles and trials and persecutions that may come my way? Are you ready for those things? When your family hits a rough spot, are you ready for that? When your finances hit a rough spot, Are you ready for that? Maybe even when the economy suffers and you're having job trouble, are you you equipped for that? When your neighbors or your friends abandon you, are you ready for that? And we must grow in our off-road living abilities before we get to those spots. We need to draw near to God now. You may look at your life and think, hey, everything is great in my life. Everything is fine, my family life is great, my, financial, my finances are great, and everything around me is great. I, I don't need this right now. You're going to face it. You're going to face something. And the time to prepare for those things is now. Not when you get there. Not when you run into trouble. Not when you get there and then suddenly you're praying to God, God, help me, what do I do in this situation? We need to go to God first before we run into those situations But I don't know about you, many times when I see a passage like this or I see instructions like this, the question that I always have is, how will I know if I'm ready or not? How will I know if if I'm ready for whatever God has to face or what I have to face and what God is going to lead me into? And in Psalm chapter 34, in the beginning of the chapter, I see three qualities that are necessary for off-road living. Three qualities that show whether or not we are ready for off-road living. Number one, I see authentic change. Authentic change. 
Verse number one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. There was something in David's heart that he couldn't stop talking about. There was something in his thoughts that he couldn't just uh, turn away from. It just kept coming back to him. There was something in his eyes and his ears that he couldn't stop looking at or listening to or thinking about. He went to sleep dreaming about it and he woke up singing about it. And it wasn't just something, it was someone. He was thinking about the Lord. He was thinking about God, about how much he loved God, about how much he trusted God, about how God was so good to him. And there was something in his soul, something in his heart that was speaking praise of God. And because his heart was praising God, his lips were then praising God. This praise of David's mouth in verse number one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually be in my mouth. This was not a faked praise. This was genuine from the heart. This was not David praising the Lord because other people were praising the Lord. This was not David doing some quote-unquote Christian things because that's what the other people around him were doing. It says in verse number two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The praise of his lips came from his heart. And we need a genuine change of heart. We need an authentic change. Because Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the mouth, for the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. What David is saying here is, Out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth is speaking. My heart is full of praise for God, and that's why I say praises to my God. It was a praise that started in his heart and ended with words coming from his lips. Psalm chapter 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Not just the words that I say, not just the things that I do, but the things I think in my heart. The things I think in my head. The things that are on the inside. Because we need to have not just a visible external sign of Christianity, but we need an invisible internal sign of a heart that is right with God. Again, Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. This is not about whether I think this is acceptable or not. This is not about whether I think this is right or not. This is not about the decisions that I want to make or not. This is about, God, are you pleased with the words that are coming out of my mouth? God, are you pleased with the things that I think inside of my heart? Are you pleased? Because if we have only the external and not the internal, we will never make it through the tough roads. Never. Because the external is just superficial. What is on the inside is really what we need. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You want to understand how to deal with all of the things that come your way in your life? You need to keep your heart. Because we can fake it on the outside all we want. And we can dress up for church all we want. And we can look good on the outside all we want. But if we don't have that internal change, it's not going to last when we hit the tough roads. 
Because it's not just the external actions, but the internal heart that is necessary. Valentine's Day, of course, is this Tuesday. And let's just take a hypothetical couple. Let's take a, a man and a woman. who have been married about three years. Moved from New Jersey four months ago. Hypothetical, okay? This is not a real couple, okay? Just moved. They have a daughter, seven months old. Perhaps her name is Skylar. Perhaps, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe name something else. There's this couple. And let's say they're going out to dinner on Tuesday night. Let's say they go to a fancy place and let's, let's for example's sake, let's just say they, they get a steak dinner. It doesn't really matter. But let's say they're sitting there at the table and he's looking at her and she's looking at him and he knows this is Valentine's Day. I got to see something. I can't just sit here and eat my food. I got to say something. What am I going to say? What should I say? And imagine how sad of a situation this would be if the man says to the woman, I love you. But he says it not because he means it from his heart, but because he knows that's what she expects. How sad of a situation would it be If a man says to the woman there, I know what you expect of me, so I'm going to say it, but I don't really mean it. I'm saying I love you because I know you want me to say that to you, but how sad would it be if that man inside didn't really love her? What a terrible situation. What a terrible place to be in. And we would look at a situation like that and, and think, boy, what a, what a sad person, what a sad relationship. But sometimes that's what Christians do. Christians do things because they know, okay, this is what is expected, but there's no heart of love. The kind of Christian that says, God, I, will, I love you, but on the inside doesn't actually love God. The kind of Christian who, who, who comes to the church maybe, but comes not because he loves God, but because that is the expected duty of him. That's great and that's wonderful, but that kind of Christian living won't make it through the tough roads. You need to have a genuine change of heart. You need to have your heart to be changed. How do I know if I have that genuine change? consistency, consistency. Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not up and down living, not happy and then sad, not faithful to church and then not faithful to church, not giving and then not giving, not serving when it's convenient, and then disappearing when it's not convenient for them. You need consistency in your life. And consistency is a sign of genuine change. Have you ever had a car that sometimes starts and then sometimes doesn't start? Have you ever had a cell phone and been in a place where the reception isn't so good and sometimes the call goes through and sometimes the call doesn't go through? And sometimes you can hear what they're saying and sometimes you can't hear what they're saying? You don't like that. You don't want that. You don't need that. But we need that. 
consistency in our lives. To be able to, no matter what, I love the Lord. And I'm going to say the praises of God no matter where I am. And no matter who is around me. The type of consistency that the way that you live when you're here at the church property is the same way that you live at home. And this way that you live at home is the same way that you live when you're with your coworkers. And the way that you're with your coworkers is the same way that you are with your friends. And the way that you are with your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors and your family is the same way that you are when you are with church people. There is a consistency that is required of us that is a sign of genuine change. Because if you only act like a Christian when you're around other Christians, you have a type of Christianity that only lasts on smooth roads. Because it's easy to act like a Christian when you're around other Christians. It's easy to say Christian things when you're around other Christians, but what about when there aren't other Christians around? What about when there are people around you that don't live for the Lord? We need to have that authentic change. But how do I get that authentic change? How do I know and how do I get that change in my heart? Psalms chapter 51, verse 10. David says to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. David knew that he could not make himself clean. He could not clean his own heart. He needed the Lord to do that. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here it says, be transformed. It doesn't say transform yourself. You are transformed. Something else or somebody else is transforming you. Who is that transforming one? It is God. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You want to be changed? I want to be changed. I want a Christianity that lasts no matter what faces me. No matter the type of road that I'm going to face in the road ahead. I want to be changed. How do I get that change? I get it from God. And I get it by yielding to His Holy Spirit. What God says to me, I obey. And how He leads me, I follow. No matter the direction, no matter the the path that is in front of me that God leads me to, I must follow Him and obey Him to get authentic change. Number two, I see that we need assisting companions. Verse 2 says, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Sometimes Christians look at other Christians and they look at the relationships that they have and they look at the families that they have and they see the life that they live and they see the joy and they see all of these things and they, they think that, wow, look, that's, I wish I had their life. I wish I could be in their shoes. I wish I, I had grown up in that family and I wish that I had these kinds of things backing me and, and if I were just like them, then of course I would live like them. Of course I would be a, a, a living uh, the way that they lived and able to handle some of the things that they're handling handling, but, but I'm not like that, and I wasn't like that, and I wish that I had some of the smooth roads that they had, but 
Paul is writing to believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and he describes the difficulties that he has faced. Verse number 23 says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I was suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. You getting the ideas? Perils everywhere. With his countrymen, with foreign people, here, there, cities, not cities, it doesn't matter. He's in perils everywhere, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Boy, that doesn't sound like a comfortable life. That doesn't sound like the life that I would want to be living. That doesn't sound like the biography that I would want to write at the end of my life. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. He's writing this in prison. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He had a Christianity that, that was well equipped for off-road living. And what you find is that those that are equipped for off-road living like traveling with those who are also equipped for off-road traveling. You ever see on the road the same kind of car? They're part of a club, like the Corvette Club. You ever seen that? There's like five Corvettes all in a row, and they're just driving down the highway together. Sometimes you see off-road cars like that, too. Sometimes you see the guys in the Jeeps and the off-road vehicles or whatever it is that they're driving. They drive together. Why? Because they like going off-road because they can go off-road. And they want to travel with those who can also travel off-road. Because much of the success of the Christian life comes from being with the right people. Much of the success of the Christian life, this is not it. Of course, we know that I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. But much of the success of the Christian life comes from being with the right people. You ever see an all-time great athlete? Let's say they play basketball or baseball or football. It almost doesn't matter the team sport that they're playing. All-time great athlete, but they never win the championship because their team is really bad. You ever see that situation? I think, boy, if he just had better teammates, he would have more success. And God has given to us teammates. That's what a church is for. That's why God has given to us a church. To have the right teammates. To have the right companions. How do I know if I have the right companions, though? Number one, if they have a similar posture. Verse number two says, The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And in verse number 18, it says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. What David is saying here is, I'm a humble person. This other people, they're humble as well. Let's travel together. 
Let's go down this road together. Verse number three says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Because we need humility. You need to be humble. And I need to be humble. And we need to be around humble people. We need to be known as a church of humility because humility brings wisdom. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Do you need wisdom? You need to be humble. You need to get it from the Lord. And I want wisdom. And I also want to be around people with wisdom. And so that's what we need if we're going to travel off-road. Humility also brings grace. James chapter 4, verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I want God's grace, and I want to be around people with God's grace. I want wisdom, and I want to be around people with wisdom. Humility also brings strength. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in strengths for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I want to be a strong Christian. And I want to be around Christians who are also strong. How do we know if we're around the right people? If we are the right person, look around and see the posture of the people around you. See the posture of the people who gather around you, the friends that seem to gravitate towards you. Are they humble people? It's a sign. Number two, if they have a similar perspective. Verse two says, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. You find out a lot about people by how they react to things. I remember in November, election night. And uh, I didn't watch any of the things going on that morning, but towards the evening, I turned on uh, the news, and I was watching the news. And I was right at that point, I don't know if you were watching at that time, but I turned it on right about at the point when people realized that Donald Trump was going to be president. That people were not saying, well, I think he might win this state, and I think he might win this state, and I think he might win this state. It was at the point where people are saying, well, Hillary needs to win basically every single state that is left. There's no way that's going to happen. It, uh, Trump's going to be president. That's about when I turned it on. And I was watching, and, uh, you know, they're cutting to different clips here and there, but sometimes they would cut to the clips of where Donald Trump was having his rally, and sometimes they would cut to the clips where Hillary Clinton was having her rally. And without anybody saying anything, and without anything being written on the screen, I knew immediately which group was there. Because the one group was chatting, they were laughing, they were hugging and high-fiving, and the other group, they were just staring blankly at the screen. They were just, it seemed like they were in shock. And immediately I knew, oh, these people were going for Clinton because look at how they are reacting. Oh, and look at this group. I know who they were voting for because I see how they are reacting. And you learn about people by how they react to certain things. And in verse number one, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. How did they react to the praise of God? They were glad. They were happy. They were rejoicing. 
So we need to see how we react and other people react. How do people react to the Word of God? How do they react to maybe the the humble rebuke of a Christian who's trying to help? How do we react to spending time in prayer? Are these chores? Are they burdens? Would we rather be somewhere else? We need to consider our reactions. If we're going to be ready for off-road living, lastly, we see that there is a similar purpose. Verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. John 3, 30, John the Baptist says, He must increase and I must decrease. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You see, all of these people have the same purpose. I want God to be lifted up. And if we're going to be ready for off-road living, we need to have the purpose of lifting the Lord up. And we need to be around other people whose same purpose is to lift God up. It's not about primarily being the most financially successful. It's not about having the most impressive academic resume. It's not about having the most friends or the most followers on social media. It's not about none of those things. It's about glorifying the Lord. We need to have these assisting companions. Thirdly, we see that we need an assured confidence. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is verse 8. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. If we are going to be ready for off-road living, we must be trusting in God. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. He will give you the right road to be on. How do I know, though, if I'm trusting in God? Number one, inspect your priorities. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. We must put God first. God must be first if we are going to be equipped for off-road travel. We need to be trusting in the Lord. How do I know where my priorities are You might want to write this down. Three signs of how you know where your priorities are. Number one, your time. Where are you spending your time? How do you spend your time? If somebody from the outside were to look at my life and and look at all of the things that I spend my time on, they would know what my priorities are. I spend time just about every single day looking at the sports to see who has won either a game or what's going on in the world of sports. Just about every single day, I see something. I go looking for it. In the same way, just about every single, uh, every single day, my wife never looks up the sports. She never looks up the scores. She never wants to find out who has won today or who has lost today. She spends no time there. Why? It's not a priority for her. She just doesn't care, and that's fine. She doesn't have to care. But I care. And because I care, I spend time there. And we see where our priorities are based on what we spend our time on. Number two, your treasures. You find out where your priorities are based on where you spend your money. So where do you spend your money? Do you spend your money just on yourself or are you spending money on the things of God? Do you give to the Lord? Do you give to God? It's a sign of where your priorities are. If you prioritize your retirement fund, you would give more money there. If you prioritize experiences and travels, you would spend more money there. 
If you prioritize just being able to eat the best foods, then you would spend your money there. Where, whatever it is that you prioritize, that's where you spend your money. So where are you spending your money? That's a sign of where your priorities are. Thirdly, your thoughts. What do you think about all day long? What are you thinking about when you're with other people, when you're by yourself? What are you thinking about? That's where you can see where some of your priorities are. And if you're not spending a lot of time, a lot of your treasures, and a lot of your thoughts, if you're not spending them on God, it's a sign that maybe your priorities aren't right. Secondly, inspect your provoking. Verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Here is David. He's encouraging other people. Do what I've done. Experience what I've experienced. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 11 says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse 13, Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Because we provoke people to try to do things that we love and we enjoy. I had the best tacos that I've ever had in my entire life last Thanksgiving when we went down to San Diego. I know some people will say that there are better other places. I don't know. I'm just saying the best one that I've tried is down in San Diego. And I've tried some places around here that are pretty good. I like it. I enjoy it. I'll probably go back. But the best one that I've had was down in San Diego. And I tell people that because I really enjoyed it. And I really like that experience. And I want other people to experience what I've experienced. And if you're trusting in God, you say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you want other people to experience what you're experiencing. And you want other people to have what you're having. What are you provoking other people to do? Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Consider each other. Think about each other and provoke them. Help them, encourage them to love and to have good works. And then verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why do we gather together on a regular basis? Do we come just out of religious duty? Do we come just because, well, the services are here, so I guess we need to be here. There is a purpose here, and one of the purposes is to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. One of the reasons why you need to be in church is you need to provoke somebody else to love and to good works. You need to encourage somebody else to do love and to do good works. And you need other people to help you, to provoke you to love and to good works. Again, much of the success of the Christian life comes with being with the right people. Lastly, inspect your prayer life. The righteous cry is what verse 17 says, and the Lord heareth. My child is seven months old now, and she's matured a lot. I, I, I definitely uh, now understand uh, when people say, uh, when, you're, when your child is first born, every day they look different, and every day they're doing something new and something different. And, uh, you know, she's starting to crawl around just a tiny bit. Actually, it's kind of funny because she, she's, she mastered how to crawl backwards before she learned how to crawl forwards. It's kind of funny. If I put her down and I put something in front of her, she reaches for it, but she's more likely to get farther away from it than she is to get closer to it. 
and uh, she, she does a lot of things. She's starting to roll around a little bit. And uh, before, I could just put her down on her back, and she's not going anywhere. She's going to be exactly where I put her until I pick her up again. Now, she's liable to roll all around now. And uh, she's starting to eat solids. And uh, one of the things that I've learned about babies that I knew before, but now I've experienced it, is that the natural response of a baby when she needs something is to cry. She wants food, she cries. She wants sleep, she cries. She wants mom or dad to pick her up, she cries. She needs her diaper changed, she cries. Anything that she needs, she can't even articulate it. She needs something, she just cries. She just cries about it. And we come and we try to figure out what it is that she wants. And sometimes based on the time or whatever, we know what it is that she wants. But the natural response of a child of God, dependent upon God, is that they cry to God about everything that they need. They pray to God. God, I need you. God, I need your help. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need you to help control my mouth. God, I need you to help control my temper. God, I need you in this. I need your help in this situation. I need your power. How is your crying to the Lord? How is your prayer life? How often do you pray to the Lord? It's a good sign of whether or not you are trusting in God And your trust in God helps you to know whether or not you're equipped for off-road living. I want our church to be able to go off-road. Each of us as believers, no matter what trials come our way, to be able to handle it and continue to move forward. And a couple of signs of whether or not we're ready for that. Number one is their authentic change. I can't see your heart, but you know what's in your heart. Is your heart the same on the inside as your life is on the outside? Number two, do you have assisting companions surrounding you? Find people who will help you. And number three, you need to have an assured confidence in God. You need to be trusting in the Lord if you're going to be able to handle no matter what comes your way.